Welcome to this edition of the Kids Ministry Collective Podcast, where we talk about topics and resources that help you lead more to reach more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this edition of the Kids Ministry Collective Podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Kids Ministry Collective Podcast. My name is Tom Bump, and I'm your host. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. Now, I want to start off by saying this episode for some of you is going to be tough, but I think it's going to be a great conversation to hear. And I pray that uh, you'll allow God's spirit to just show up and, and hear, hear some good truth. You know, as kids and family ministry leaders, we're seeing a lot of kids struggling with identity issues. Uh, we're seeing a lot of politicizing of this culture and, and uh, goodness, it's just, it's getting messy. And where there's mess, there becomes things that are uncomfortable and there becomes struggle. And what we as believers need to do is sort through that and seek God's truth. And there's a, a great movement around right now to keep things fluid with kids. And again, it's creating stress and division, even amongst believers. We're seeing arguments break out in Facebook groups, in, in children's and youth group Facebook groups about whether to be affirming or non-affirming and all these kind of things. And so I'm really excited because my good friend, Caleb Kaltenbach, who is the author of a book called Messy Grace, which uh, I'll have to link that podcast. We talked about his book before on this podcast. Um, and if you haven't read Messy Grace, I highly recommend you go do that. Um, but he's written a new book called Messy Truth. And it really is a great book about how can a Christian love and affirm people without sacrificing our convictions? Caleb, welcome back to the KMC, my friend. It is great to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks so much for, for taking time out of your schedule. And and actually, is it yesterday or today is the release date, which is August 10th, I think, or August 11th is when we're recording, but it, it came out yesterday, right? Yep. It came out August 10th. All right. Awesome. So, uh, we're excited about this book and I got a chance to look at a release early release copy of it and, and just was blessed because it's helping me work through and seek God's truth on how do I minister to people who are thinking differently and living differently than myself without compromising, um, without creating more stress. And so I'm curious, why did you, because we typically start with a why question. So why did you decide to dive into this and write Messy Truth? I wrote this book because I felt like uh, Messy Grace was all about uh, somebody, a Christian's personal relationship with LGBTQ friends and family. And I also felt like there was... Um, uh, a lot of grace uh, focus and messy grace, which is obviously very important. And grace is as much a part of truth as truth is as much a part of grace. But I really wanted to write a book on how do you help your LGBTQ friends and family get connected to a redemptive Christ-centered community. And uh, speaking, consulting with different churches over these uh, matters of grace and truth, I've had a lot of questions about conversations, like how do I talk to somebody, so on and so forth. And so I decided to write a book that was more focused on fostering community, uh, would have maybe a, a bit more of the, for lack of a better phrase or idea, the, the truth side of things, 
but would also uh, still highlight empathy and focus on uh, having uh, difficult conversations about your convictions with people that you love a lot. So that's why the last third of the book is just primarily devoted to how do you have difficult conversations about what you believe about Jesus or about truth without shaming people. And so yeah. that's why I wrote the book. That's really good. So define for us then what, what, how do you define messy truth? Um, kind of give us a breakdown of that. So uh, I, first of all, as you theologically believe, and I do too, truth is not messy. Um, you know, Psalm 19, Psalm 119, yeah. uh, both say that God's word is clean and pure and trustworthy and yes. impeccable. So I just want to make that you know, point from the start. Cause I, I can always tell when somebody hasn't read messy grace, my first book, cause they'll say, well, God's grace isn't messy. Yeah. I'm like, yes, I know that. I say that in the first chapter, actually. Thank you. Yes. As I say, it's in the first chapter. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Next. No. Um, I call it messy because that's how we feel at the intersection of our theological convictions and our, our beliefs and our relationships and I've found that you especially feel that messy truth when your convictions are at the intersection of your relationships, when you have to show empathy with somebody that you may not agree with. And then when you have to have difficult conversations, uh, either you have to be the one who is giving that or you have to be the one receiving uh, a difficult conversation. And so um, that's why I call it messy truth because God's truth, again, God's truth and grace are not messy, yeah. but they can look and like, they can look messy at times and we can feel messy, um, at times. Yeah. And, you know, we, we've talked off air a little bit and I said, you know, as children's ministry leaders, family ministry leaders that deal with kids and youth, it's, it's been, it's challenging right now because we see, uh, I'm going to call it an agenda. That's probably not politically correct, but um, we see this movement towards coming towards children of, of, from my perspective, again, forgive me, people are going to be upset. I'm not going to say it the right way, but I'm just, I'm going to dive into the mess. I feel like there's, there's this a creation of we're going to confuse children, or at least we're going, you know, in their minds, they're saying we're going to try provide clarity and allow children space to decide for themselves. But for some of us, it feels like they're pushing children in a certain direction. And so if we're going to dive into understanding how to develop a biblical position on this, where do we start? And, you know, because some people say, well, we need to, we need to accept these people and we need to acknowledge their presence and we need to affirm them. So how do we, you know, where do we start with all of that? So first and foremost, um, I, I get frustrated about the same things you do. And, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, first and foremost, and I know you definitely agree with this because we've talked about this before. I'm just saying this for the sake of anybody listening, that um, the extremists on one view or another on either side um, do not represent the totality of people. So right. uh, there are uh, extreme cultural fundamentalist Christians that don't represent Tom or myself in their views. Uh, praise God. Yeah, and, yeah, I and I have a lot of LGBTQ friends and the activists or the people posting on TikTok all the time or this or that. Those individuals 
who are activists do not represent the majority of LGBTQ people I know. Even people in same-sex relationships I know have never been to a pride parade, never been to a bar or club or yeah. activist event. They just want to live their lives like anybody else. They're frustrated with the government like anybody else. And some of the times I think that some people fall into the trap of thinking, well, if this person is like this, then everybody must be like this. And then right. again, that is just, you know, not the case. But I think that when it, it when we start considering these things, that's one of the first things that we have to remember that not everybody is alike. And the activists bark the loudest, but there are fewer of them, the extremists. Mm, so we just need, and we need to remember that. The second thing yes, I think we yes. need to remember is that everybody is somebody that God created and Jesus died for. Um, everybody mm-hmm. still carries God's image and is made in his likeness. And everybody is either a potential recipient or a recipient of Christ's blood, uh, meaning that they accepted him. And so I think it's easy when we get into debates on social media, which is why Tom and I really don't debate on social media because <laughs> nothing, exactly. no, nothing has uh. ever been resolved on social media. Everything has been agitated on social media. Yes. And so uh, I think also social media is like road rage. When people get into a road rage mode, they forget that that is an actual human being driving. That's a person, you know, with with, uh, maybe children. That person had parents. That person has siblings. That person is loved by other people. We forget their human dignity. Uh, With telemarketers, you even get telemarketer (laughs) calls on your cell now you get mad and you forget that person. Um, You get frustrated at a company. You're having interruption in your service, a blackout, like what we get in Southern California. You call the electric company. You start getting mad at that person on the other end. That person didn't do it. They are merely taking your phone call, Um, so on and so forth. So I think that we have to remember that uh, people are people. People are people that God died for or that Jesus died for and that God created. And I think the more that we remember that, um, in these impromptu moments when we do get frustrated, the, the better we will treat people. So mm-hmm. I, I think that those two things are, are incredibly significant as we begin considering how do we um, engage society and even talk to our kids about some things we're being taught or how do we talk to our extremist friends? Right. Yeah, I think it's easy to get lost in the volume Um and and you're you're right. They they're the ones that are making the most noise. They're the most visible because they're putting themselves in front of the cameras, but they don't represent the majority. And and we have to wade through all of that so that we can see people and begin to to empathize with them. You know, one of the things you said, um, one of the quotes that jumped out at me um, was that. You, know, you talk about empathy isn't walking a mile in someone's shoes. It's rather walking miles next to them. And so as, as leaders, um, this is going off script a little bit, but as leaders, as we get families coming to our church and, and, and they're identifying um, in the LGBTQ community, how do we begin to broach that? empathy and how do we how do we start building that um that opening for communication where where does it start um it it starts by number one deciding what you're fighting for um uh i i believe that 
you know, my kids are 14 and 12. And I know that I am competing uh, with other people, other institutions, um, other ideas uh, for their devotion on a regular basis. So is God. Right. And I have to decide that I want to uh, want to earn influence with someone um, because if, if, if we don't have influence, somebody else will. And right. when you have influence, your words carry a tremendous amount of weight. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to begin with the whole idea that influence matters yes. um, because without influence, um, we're just talking heads. We're just annoying people. Um, I get, you know, I, I get this question a lot when somebody says, should I attend my kid's wedding? They're marrying somebody of the same sex, my friend's wedding, whatever. Personally, I don't like to do weddings. I never have. They're heterosexual. I don't do gay weddings because my theological conviction, but I don't even like doing heterosexual weddings. I, I try not to go. They're annoying. The food is bad. You sit in the sun all day. <laughs> there are mother-in-laws there. There's more than one mother-in-law. Oh, yeah. And it's just, uh, anyway. That's a whole nother podcast <laughs> about marriages and, yeah. and my, I whatever. can empathize with that for sure. Yeah. I've done it myself. And, and oh. I am married by the way. I, I like my marriage, but I just yeah. want to leave that one there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so like pe- parents will say, should I go to a gay wedding? And I'm like, well, let me ask you a few questions. Number one, um, do you, uh, do you currently have an uh, influence, good relationship? Yeah. Um, if you don't go, will it hurt your relationship with your kid, with your friend? Yeah. Okay. What would you be willing to do to keep and build influence with someone? How far would you be willing to go to earn the right to be one of the first people that they call or text? And again, you don't have to support the union to go. You can go there uh, to support the person to say, you can say things like, I love you. I'm there for you. Um, Thank you for inviting me. Um, I'm here, whatever you need praying for you. You can say things like that. Um, It's all about influence. And so that's why I think empathy is so vastly important. Um, Empathy is not rejecting someone. And empathy is not agreeing with their opinions, affirming the relationship decisions they've made, or, um, you know, approving of their political stances in life. Uh, Empathy is acknowledging the reality or the reality of life as they see it. Uh, Brene Brown says that empathy is walking with another person. Reggie Joyner from Orange Conference mm-hmm. says that empathy is the ability to put your thoughts and uh, your, your thoughts and feelings on hold so you can think and feel with another person. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I think that empathy is so important because you look at God, he's the most empathetic being in existence. Right. He pursued right. us when we weren't pursuing him. Jesus came to live with us, to live the life we never could, you know, died for us, rose for us, is coming back for us. And the Holy Spirit, he sent to be with us until um, he returns. And Jesus did all that while not agreeing with how we as humanity have betrayed God. And so I think that empathy is, is really uh, the key. It is not a silver bullet, but it is one of the uh, many things that we need to consider as Christians. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so as we, as we, as ministry leaders try to navigate this with, especially again, with, with, in the context of where most of these listeners are as children, family ministry, 
we're, we're seeing, you know, the struggle with kids and students um, and their identity. And I, I like what you said. I think this came off of page 96, if I got it right. Um, you said the, the concepts of identity, belonging, community, and faith are inseparable. In some way, each person's primary identity is tied to the primary communities. So your family, close friends, individuals you spend time with either validate or challenge your identity. Um, so as, as family ministry leaders, what are some of the critical things that we should understand about helping children establish a healthy and godly perspective about their own identity? Um, so as they look at God's truth and how he created them, how do we, how do we navigate that? I, I think, I think the number one, you know, as, especially as parents, uh, we've got to provide uh, a safe and healthy environment our kids and that's definitely true in church as well um you know i'm a small group leader for the high school ministry here at my church so i'm on staff with that's how i volunteer but i really believe that providing that safe space um helps to contribute to healthier kids and students and what i mean by safe is i'm not using that in a let's just shield them from everything but right. creating an environment right. where people feel free uh, to share their opinions and their feelings and their thoughts and their ideas and their doubts, even uh, without fear of repercussions. Um, you know, that, that's, that's what I, that's what I try to do with my kids. I'm not always successful at it because I have this thing called emotional attachment to my kids that I don't have. <laughs> and so other emotions get in the way of that, you know, and, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, sometimes that's easier to do with people that you aren't as emotionally attached to, you know, because you're not uh -huh. wading through everything else and all your other experiences with them. But it, it all begins by creating and making sure that you are a person that other people feel safe talking to. Because when we create that safe space um, and, and that space that allows for the promotion of spiritually, emotionally, and mentally healthy uh, individuals, we get a, a much better authentic community. We get a community filled with people that love God and people. Um, and so without us working on ourselves and making sure that we are doing those things, uh, we will never find a community that is doing those things. And no community will do it perfectly. But the reason why I say we've got to start with us is because I can't control um, somebody else's decisions. Like God doesn't hold me responsible for somebody else's decisions. Right. Um, good side, you know, but the bad side of that is God holds me responsible for what I do. And so I think that it, the, the hard work has got to begin with me first, and I've got to own myself and what I'm working yeah. through so that I can provide that safe environment so that I can contribute to creating a community that's authentic where people can really have these discussions and people can grow and that impacts somebody's identity. Um, mm. You know, I think it was Richard Rohr who said that you are uh, the sum of the five people that you spend the most time around. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you think about that real quick, think about who people spend the most time around um, that will say a lot about what they're going to do, where they're going to go. Um and that can be a very scary thing. That can be a good thing. But I think that's a challenge for the church. And as it attempts to create a sense of belongingness for people, one of the questions that I ask in the book, and I'm going to say it differently here, so I don't ask it exactly the same, 
Um, oh, actually, I'll, I'll read it from the book because then I'm just going to butcher it and it's going to be awkward for everyone. <laughs> um, uh, so I, I asked this question in the book. Um, so I asked, does belonging, like talking about church community, does belonging precede life change or do we belong because our lives changed? Ooh. Say that one more time. Does belonging precede life change or do we belong because our lives changed? Like, do I belong in a church because I follow Jesus or do I, will I follow Jesus because I belong in a church because I've experienced belonging. And so that's why chapter five, you know, in, in messy truth is just, it's really committed to this whole idea of belonging that there's a difference between, uh, churches being intentional about offering belonging to people and creating a space for people to belong versus saying that we ordain you with salvation and you now belong to the family. That's not our job to do. And a lot of Christians feel like, okay, if we are going to uh, be intentional about creating a sense of belonging, then we are actually uh, going to be telling people that we affirm what they think. And that's not true because they're going to be in conversations with people. They're going to hear sermons, so on and so forth. But if we don't, I I kind of insinuate in that chapter that we're kind of going against what the Apostle Paul said, like in 1 Corinthians 14, when he talks about tongues, we miss what he says about the church there uh, in Corinth because of he was focusing on tongues. That's his main point. Uh, And it is, I think, either verse 24 or 25, Paul says, when the whole church gathers together, and if, and if you start speaking in tongues, when an unbeliever is in your midst, will they not think that you are out of your mind? Mm-hmm. Right. And we forget the background, the, the not hypothetical, but probably very historical and real background that you probably did have several unchurched people and unbelievers who attended church in the first century. Think about all the times that Paul talks about unbelievers in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9, become all things to all people. 1 Corinthians 10, what should you eat meat sacrificed to an idol with an unbeliever? 1 Corinthians 7, what if my unbelieving spouse leaves? There's a reason why Paul, you know, 1 Corinthians 5, don't judge unbelievers. There, yeah. There's a reason why Paul says all that, because I think there are a lot of unbelievers who are attending right. um, the gatherings. And Paul right. says that we need to be intentional about what we do and don't do because of who is with us. And I think Paul is saying that because he wants, he wanted the church in Corinth to be a healthy place for people to come and experience Jesus. And that leads to an identity in Christ. And, and yeah. so that, that's kind of what I argue in the book. I don't know if that makes sense at all or not. It, it, it does, because, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, labels are always dangerous. We agree with that, you know, that labeling people and label. I mean, now we have churches saying, well, we're an affirming church. So that assumes that everybody else is non-affirming. <laughs> and I hate right. that label. Um, I do too. Because we all should be communities that we affirm the identity, like you said, you're you're affirming the identity of who they are in Christ. Um, so that's a struggle. Um, again, I'm going to go off script, but it just popped into my head as I'm sitting here thinking about this whole idea that that you have people coming into your midst and they're identifying as one way. How do you? Um, cause I think that's the, 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 the question people is, well, so how do we affirm them without giving them, con, you know, this 
feeling that we condone all their behavior. Um, cause somebody out there I'm sure is listening going, well, I, I don't, I don't know how to affirm without, without making them feel like, Hey, you know, you can do whatever you want, live however you want. And, cause I think that's what some people view the affirming churches as doing is you can come on in. We're not going to talk and address your sinfulness. We're not going to, you know, I don't know if that makes sense or not. <laughs> if I'm babbling no, no, like, no, it does. And I, I, I don't like the, the label non-affirming or affirming. Like, yes, I hate you know, it too. Because again, I, I would be labeled non-affirming, even if I try to say, try to make it sound better, compassionately non-affirming, which is what I'll say sometimes. It's like, that still sounds horrible. Yeah. That still sounds like you, you put a, a bow tie on a turd. That's what it sounds like. And, yes. and so, you know, for me, I'll just be honest. I don't like adjectives in general when they're put in front of church or Christian. Like we are, and, and I realize that sometimes they are a necessary evil, um, especially um, depending on the topics you're dealing with. But like, I don't, I don't like it when people say I'm a uh, democratic, you know, I'm a Democrat Christian. I'm a Republican Christian. Yeah. I don't like that. I don't like it when yep. people say yep. we're we're an affirming church because when you have to use that adjective right there, what you just said is that that's one of the most important things about your church that you're an affirming church, and you look at these churches where they have the big rainbows out in front and so on and so forth. They are not growing. Right. Um, there's a reason why they're not growing. Several reasons, but one of the biggest reasons is is that that's kind of their mantra, and Jesus is not their main mantra. Their main mantra right. is we're affirming and that does not attract people. That's why I really, really think that um, even though church attendance is in a decline, uh, especially after the pandemic, we'll have to see how numbers even back out. Um, but church attendance was in decline before that, but especially more so than non-denominational churches, those were actually increasing um, mainline denominations. A lot of them, especially the more, uh, theologically liberal ones were in decline and they're right. still in decline. And I, I think that there are more LGBTQ people who are attending, uh, again, for lack of a better phrase, non-affirming churches yeah. than affirming churches because, right. and, and I've, and I've talked to them because um, they still want to hear about Jesus. They still want to hear about the gospel. As I said, they so, want the truth, right? Yeah. yeah. They're, they're looking for real authentic truth of who is this person jesus yeah um yeah yeah don't don't try to make it palatable again we don't yeah. have to be offensive in how we say things right um, right so that so that's one thing um to answer your question another way that, that we're able to start talking about these things and talk about uh, uh you know things like identity or sexuality without hurting people is um you know we have to obviously not be ashamed of the truth, but we also have to understand that having those kind of conversations that usually works out the best when you have those conversations with somebody that you have a good relationship with, that you trust, that you know, that you love, uh, even then they can not go well, depending right. on the parties involved, but usually the best conversations happen in the midst of trust and a deep relationship. Third thing is this. Um, we have to be intentional when we have those type, when we have conversations with people about uh, sexuality, identity, or that kind of a thing. 
we have to be intentional. And I, and I understand that there are impromptu conversations where this comes up. I get it. Uh, but at the same time, there are many times when it's not impromptu, when you kind of expect that it would happen. And that's where I think that we need to plan ahead of time. We need to think through it. Um, like, for instance, if you know that you're going to be having a difficult conversation, plan out that conversation, mm, or at least your cool. part in it before. Like, when would be a good time to have it? What time of the day are people less likely to be emotional? Would it be better to have it in a semi-public place or in a completely private place? Um, you know, how will they best hear the truth? What are, what are their past experiences? How have they experienced projection? Um, you know, how will that play into what they hear you say? Um, yeah. What's the goal? Instead of saying, I want this, this, and this to happen, I usually try to say, okay, I want one goal conversation. Then also, how do I want them, when they leave, how do I want them to feel? Like, those are two important questions. Another question is, how long is it going to be? Because you and I are both in ministry, <laughs> you know, been pastors, we both are still ordained and everything. And the thing is, is that, you know, as well as I do, that some of these conversations, you schedule it for an hour, you're there three hours later. Right. And right. people are, are, and by the time you get way, that's way past the point, whenever people forget all the good things you said in the beginning, and now other topics have come up, people spiderweb, people are crying and upset, and they leave angry, and they leave exhausted. And they're like, that was a horrible experience. Yeah, we have got to be uh, uh, consistent uh, with our messaging, but also with the time, like I wouldn't go longer than 90 minutes. Yeah, I would if that I would go an hour or something. And anyway, th those are things that I that I talk about where I think that yeah. It, hopefully it will help people to be able to um, uh, better engage these uh, conversations and, and relationships. Well, what I love about the book, and I think what it really helps us consider is all these different kinds of ideas. And um, even the, the, you know, just the, the idea that, you know, we have to, well, you, you, you said it um, as Christians are experiencing today, influence lost is influence hard to regain, especially when our society is continually driving people to an elaborated view of self. You know, we have to be careful because the church is losing influence at times. And I think a lot of it is because we have allowed some of the extremes to, to be louder than the rest of us. And so for the rest of us in the middle, we have to work extra hard to, to find people and to let them know that we do see the image of God in them <laughs> uh, and we do care about them and we want them to have a safe community to come into, to, to come and meet Jesus. And, and uh, you know, I mean, again, that's why I keep telling people in, in, in our, you know, people that have listened to this podcast have heard me say it, we've got to get back to the basics and we've got to teach children the creation story and we've got to teach them that God is love and that God is holy and, and that God um, has a plan. And like Andy Stanley says, you know, created on purpose for a purpose. Um, and so not to be ashamed of how they're wired. Um, that well, God... mean, and Jesus does that. You're right, man. Yes. You're absolutely right. When Jesus in Matthew 19, in his account, and then again, in Mark 10, when the Pharisees asked him about divorce and about uh, remarriage and divorce and that kind of thing, what does he first do? He quotes Genesis 127 and 224. Yes. He doesn't even address all their 
<laughs> legalistic, pharisaical, scribal interpretations of scripture and then interpretations of other rabbi teachings. He yeah. just goes, Boom. we're going to rush past that. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's yeah. go back and yes. really examine how God created this. And I think that we sometimes fail to do that. We forget to do that. Um, yes. And uh, for many reasons, but we need to remember uh, Jesus's example in that. Yes. Yes. So, um, you know, as we get ready to, to wrap up here, what do, what do we do to, to love people and stay true to the word of God? And, and what do you, what should we take away after reading messy truth? What, what's your hope um, for, for this book? My hope for this book is that people will uh, learn and own the fact that uh, individuals uh, follow Jesus better when they're with other people. Uh, the people find and follow Jesus better in community, not in isolation. That's really yeah. what I want. Ooh, and I kind of I said this before, but I'll say this again. Um, I have a whole book on in this. Uh, sorry, I felt like book, but I have a whole chapter in this book on uh, character. Yes. And good. before you walk with somebody, you have to examine yourself to see if you have the credibility to walk with them. Yeah. Um, and in this chapter uh, was hard for me to write because I was thinking through different times in my life, but also uh, through friends and different things like that. And it, it's not a chapter that's meant to shame people. Uh, if anything, it's, hey, you need to be the healthiest version of who God created you to be so yeah. that you can you know, be leveraged by him to uh, love people well. You know, Paul says in Romans 13, 8 through 10, one of my favorite passages that uh, loving your neighbor fulfills the Old Testament law, you know, and of course, it's still binding because who does that perfectly? <laughs> love God and love your neighbor is much more binding than all 613 commands in the Old Testament, Yeah, which is all the more proof that we need Jesus. But it does show that um, we will never... Um, we will never get this right and we will never be able to treat people right until we get right within ourselves. Um, mm, I had uh, that's good. a friend of mine is um, his name is Chip Dickens. He is the head of the biblical counseling department at Dallas theological seminary. He's also the chairman of uh, his church that he attends in Dallas, Texas. And I remember I was sitting down with Chip not too long ago and we were talking about things and, he asked me how I was doing. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. Kind of like that. Um, you know, he's a counselor. So he's like, all right, Caleb, <laughs> what's going on? I'm like, well, this, this, that, blah, 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 blah. And, and most of the issues that I was having were with myself, you know, and yeah. I was presenting it that way as well. Um, but he said, so you're kind of hard on yourself. I said, yeah, I guess so. You know, and I said, I, I know that I can be my own worst enemy. I don't even need a Satan in my life. I've got Caleb, you know, <laughs> Caleb's a lot to deal with. So he's like, well, you know, Caleb, God says, love the Lord, your God, follow your heart, soul, and mind, love your neighbor as yourself, love God, love people. And I'm like, yeah, he's like, you're people. And I'm like, mm. well, I love myself. He's like, do you really? I'm like, well, I'm not a narcissist. <laughs> That's what you're saying. I don't walk around saying, Ooh, I'm going to wear my own t-shirt of my own face, but he's like, no, no, no. 
do you really care for yourself? Do you love yourself? Do you treat yourself well? And that just really, really got to me. And it just kind of reinforced, um, you know, that idea from that chapter. And I think that's so huge for people to know, especially coming out of the pandemic. Or maybe we're still in it, or I don't know. Depends yeah. on what news station you watch. But I, I think that we will treat people better when we learn how to treat ourselves better. We will treat people mm, in more so of a healthy way when we become healthy. And I mean, a lot of that even speaks to the ministry that you're doing as well. You know, so um, that that's what I would say is uh, something huge. I hope that people get out of the book. I hope so too, because I think, and you're right, I, I, I battle this all the time and I don't see myself sometimes. I, I know I don't see myself the way God sees me. And I keep asking, you know, cause I do want to see him. And I think you're right. I think sometimes we, we try to <laughs> make ourselves uh, feel better by saying, well, I don't want to be a narcissist. So I'm, I'm going to, you know, you know, be, um, low serving and you know whatever but it's it's this idea that we've got to get a better picture of how god sees us and how he has made us and how he's designed us and be be grateful and to to glorify him and and i think if if we as the church can be the best version of ourselves i think that is going to gain us influence into the world and it's going to draw people that are searching for real authentic hope and truth uh, to fill that void inside of them, um, and and if we are doing that, if we're if we're truly, you know, Paul says, you know, you know, keep keep track of your life, you know, watch your walk, um, you know, and and work out your salvation. I think that's part of it is working out that idea of, you know, we we need to see ourselves in the way God sees us, and you know, He sees holiness when He looks because of of who Jesus is, and not because of us. And, and I need to remember that I've been forgiven and I've been made new and, 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 uh, I need to let that light out, um, and not hide it up. But sometimes I do because I'm, I just feel like I'm lacking in so many things. Um, and I'm afraid to, I'm afraid to speak up. I'm afraid to speak truth. Um, I'm afraid to go love somebody differently because I'm afraid I'm not all that I could be, um, or should be. And so, I think this book is really going to help all believers walk through uh, and and get a good picture of what is the truth and how do we live it out? Mm-hmm. Um, how do we how do we love others the way yeah. Jesus loves? Yeah, and I think we need that help that Jesus provides. Like, yeah, I, I think our minds naturally uh, go to self blame or maybe yep. even um, unhealthy self promotion as well. And I yeah. think the reason why our mind does that is because um, uh, if you think about it, this book that I read, uh, where is it? Oh, yeah. It's uh, by Charles Durick or whatever. Um, anyway, it doesn't matter. So, um, and it talks about influence and so on and so forth and decisions. And in it, he's talking about that our mind is making between 30,000 and 50,000 decisions a day. We don't even realize it from is that the from power the of habit. Yeah, I think yes. it is. I think it's yes. Power of habit. Yes. Thank you. And um, so we're making all these decisions yeah. on a regular basis. Our mind just wants to make quick decisions because it's like, okay, next thing, next thing. Yep. And I don't know that's necessarily a bad thing. That's what our mind God wired it to do. 
But right. that's the reason why it's harder for us to think deeper about people. It's easier for us to label people um, besides sin. That's the reason why it's easier for us to look at the biggest target when we can't figure something out. And we're like, our mind's like, we got to figure this out, move on yeah. to the next thing. You're the biggest target. You, I'm going to take the blame. <laughs> you start piling on top of yourself. Uh, I think that that's why we need the help of God. Uh, yes. Like, like Paul says in Romans 12, one, two, two, the renewing of our minds, mm-hmm. because I preached a couple of Sundays ago um, and about David and Bathsheba at my church, which was fun. <laughs> but my whole thing, you know, that I kept on telling people is um, I have yet to meet a human being that makes really, really good, consistent decisions on their own. Right. Humans don't. And so we right. need the help of Jesus. And so yes. that's why we need community. Um, and we need to community. be there for one another. And that's yeah. why I'm glad for what, uh, for uh, the, the ideas that, that God gives so many people and so many of the great books that are being put out that we read, but also the, the ministry that you have. And I'm Thank glad you. that you're there to be a resource for people. Well, appreciate it, my friend. And I appreciate this conversation. Thanks for sharing your book. Um, I hope that lots of the listeners out here will go grab Messy Truth uh, we'll put a link of it in the show notes as well. And, and, uh, Caleb's got a lot of great resources. Um, so go check it out. Um, and, uh, and he's available to help your church. If your church needs to walk through some of this stuff, um, he's available to, to help your church out with those kind of things and have conversations. Um, he's helped me tremendously. Um, years ago when we first met, I was struggling, uh, with a relative, um, and, uh, and I wasn't responding right. I was a mess. <laughs> and, and Caleb helped me get some good perspective and to see things in a more biblical perspective. And I really appreciated that. And I thank him for my for the friendship that we have. And, and uh, so, Caleb, God bless you. God bless your book. Um, I pray that this really helps the church um, dig into this and, and become a different reality than what a lot of people in the, in the LGBTQ community think um, of us. I hope we can be different um, in that way and be more like Jesus would um, respond that way. So thanks again for that. And uh, Hey, thanks for listening to this edition of the kids ministry collective podcast. I appreciate each and every one of you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing it. Uh, thanks for commenting that you're listening. If you have any questions or or want to engage on this conversation, feel free to reach out um, and we'll be glad to, to talk with you. So if there's anything I can do for you, you know I'm here for you guys. Uh, if, if there's some support and encouragement you need, uh, please reach out to me, uh, private message me, uh, and I will be glad to make some time for you. So God bless. Thanks again for listening and stay tuned for another episode real soon. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Kids Ministry Collective Podcast. We hope that it's helped and encouraged you. If you would, support our podcast by continuing to share it with other leaders. And if you haven't already, hey, please subscribe and leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast. We look forward to hearing from you how this podcast has helped and sharpened your skills in ministries. So let us know on your Facebook page or head over to kmccoach.net and share with us there. And thanks again for listening to the Kid Ministry Collective Podcast.